Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest today is Amanda Thebe, a British personal trainer with more than 20 years of experience in the fitness industry and now based in Houston in Texas. And uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat about her book, Menapocalypse, which was published in October 2020. Welcome, Amanda. Really happy to be here, Emma. Thanks for having me. And, you know, when I wrote my bio, it probably was about three, four years ago. And I was like, yeah, I've been a personal trainer for 20 years, but it's because I completely forget how old I am all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm not denying anything, but um, maybe I am about my age. But um, I, so I just turned 50. And so it's been 30 years. I should just wow. upd- update my yeah, bio. You, do you know what? There was actually an inconsistency between, I think, the sort of the sheet that came from your publicist and then some of the other information. One said 20, one said 30. So. I think I've updated something on, on my own side, but the publishers think it's 20. It's fine. Whatever. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> Lots of experience. So the book starts out with you recounting your own personal experience of living through the the perimenopause although at the time you definitely weren't aware that's what was happening to you is that right that's correct yeah and I'd never even heard of the word perimenopause I mean so I was about 42 when I started feeling unwell with perimenopause in retrospect if I go back things started changing after the birth of my last son when I was like 38 39 like stuff started changing but it changes that you wouldn't have yeah, I didn't on. care. I didn't care. Yeah. They were man- manageable. You know, I just didn't feel great the week before my period, which was a new thing. I used to get really bad colds every month the week before my period and my histamine response changed. You know, like things were just different. I would have these bouts of chronic fatigue that I couldn't explain, especially being so fit and healthy, right? But it mm-hmm. was when I was 42, I got, I felt sick. I actually thought I was sick. You know, I didn't think it was perimenopause because like I said, eight years ago, I hadn't heard of that word. Now, Everybody talks about it, which is really great. We've made big leaps and bounds in the conversation. Um, And so when I went to my doctor, I was living in Toronto at the time. I lived there for 15 years. And I went to the doctor and said, you know, I don't feel well. I had this episode last week where the room started spinning and I started throwing up and I had to crawl on my hands and knees. And wow. And then my vision, it was really extreme, right? And I lost vision um, in one side of my face and pins and needles all the way down to my hand. I actually thought I had like a tumor or I I was having a stroke. I mean, I didn't go there straight away, but anyway, it went away, but then it came back again. And so when it came back again, I thought I'm going to go and mention it to my doctor. And he said, yeah, let's go and get it checked out. Let me refer you to a neurologist. Let me get you an MRI scan. Let's just get to the bottom of this and find out you know, what's causing this. And now obviously that took time and over the, the, the months that I waited, it just kept happening all the time. Um, and I just felt so unwell and I just, I didn't, I was worried as well because, I mean, I'm not one of those people that tends to have a lot of dread and overthink things, but this was very unusual. I then went to my, an ear, nose and throat doctor I got referred to them because they were trying to work out what the vertigo was I went to a a vestibular rehabilitation specialist which is essentially a physio for um balance like inner inner ear issues they were like bad it was it was really affecting your kind of day-to-day yeah ability to do stuff I fell over a couple of times, like like in like in the in a shop. I walked into something and fell over. I literally was it was a mess. And um, long story short, they all came back saying, "It's clear to us that you 
aren't well. I'm not one of them people that wears illness well. I just look terrible. Like, you know, like my grand used to get sick all the time and look great and I just didn't. <laughs> and they were, they said, it's clear to us looking at you that you're not well, but we can't find anything conclusive. And this is now two years and I just was really struggling with now depression. Like, and I just, I really thought, God, is is this just something I have to live Start with? Start to it, doubt your own kind of yeah. sanity this, almost of like, what, am I am I imagining how bad this is? Is it? I had those feelings and I also had the other, the flip side of that is, oh, this is it then. This is what I've just got to be like for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. And I've got this imagination that I'm going to live to like the same age as Prince Philip did today, right? Like, you know, I feel like I'm going to live forever. And I was like, am I going to live forever feeling this terrible? I'd, and and yeah. it was awful. It was a very hard time for me. And I'm long, it's a really long waffly answer, I know. But, and then I went to my annual gynecologist appointment and he just said is everything okay so I started crying like you do and then I just said no it's not okay and then I just relayed what was going on and he just said I see this all the time especially from people that are pretty like dynamic or have like maybe like an A-type personality you you're a go-getter and you've lost that you're just not functioning and he said it's perimenopause all of these symptoms are valid you're struggling with depression that's a symptom of perimenopause you've got a migraines with aura a vestibular type migraine these are something that we know are gen- and I was like oh my god like this guy actually knows what's wrong with me and then he said this is perimenopause I can help you and I was like, perimenopause? I don't think so. And I was like arguing because that's I was like, yeah, that's for old people. I mean, I, I honestly, at the time, never, nobody had ever mentioned hormones to me. And I still had that mindset going into this eight years ago that one, it was for older people, w- women probably nearer 60 in my mind. Mm. Periods just stop and then you don't have them anymore. You might get a few hot flushes this is what like I understood to be and I also went into it with a mindset after he said to me I'll give you hormone replacement therapy I was like uh, I don't think so like in my mind I'm like the guy's trying to give me breast cancer mm. um, and so you know I had to after he helped me and uh, I then was like I have to find out more and that's sort of my personality I needed to dig deep and and in the end I came up with the book right I mean it was like a, it was years of me talking about it finding out more speaking to some real experts in the medical community and um and it, and I just thought I want to write a book for for women so they don't have to go through what I've been through. And, I, and my story is just no different to many others I hear. I mean, mm. the biggest feedback I get from the book is it's been so helpful, but I just recognize myself in almost everything you said because it's a it's a shared experience, right? As unique as it is. We... Yeah. And also I think what's still, as I'm kind of going through this process of learning more is just how much either misinformation or just complete lack of information there can be with medical professionals. And obviously it varies uh, a lot from one to another, but just sort of time and time again, hearing people on different platforms sort of saying, you know, I went to my GP and either they were just massively unhelpful or they stuck me straight on antidepressants. And, you know, that was basically my lot. Yeah, it's a typical response, Emma. And, um, you know, I didn't have the unhelpful. I definitely had, I loved 
Can I, I really like Canadian healthcare as a system. I just think it's just really robust and supportive. And I feel I felt like everybody cared. But that was four professionals that had gone to medical school for 13 years or whatever. None of them, none of them could it's say. It's isn't it? That they don't have that sh- requirement to, yes. to know about this. And then I know from speaking to Dr. Avram Blumen, who's a, one of the leading oncologists here in um, North America, he's the author of the book, Estrogen Matters. He, mm-hmm. um, I um, spoke to him a few times and he said to me that um, less than 20% of the gynecologists that go through medical school in the USA will, will choose to have menopause management training. It's and unbelievable. Since, and then when I speak to gynecologists who specialize in this, they have said to me, I think it's a lot less. They do, it's not something that's taught. They all know what menopause is, but there's no like treatment around it. Anyway, so I think that the way to resolve this is grassroots, you and I, all of the other women out there having these conversations, becoming educated. One of the reasons I wrote the book as well is I wanted women to have knowledge because knowledge equals choice. Knowledge allows you to advocate for yourself. I wanted that to be something that every woman could have and to stand up to the doctors and say, no, you're wrong, actually. This is what we know and this is what I would I would like from you. This is how you can help me because chances are they do want to help you, but they just don't they just don't know. And the um, more you can be, I guess, prepared and knowledgeable going into that 10, 15 minute appointment, you're gonna get so much more out of that than well I mean I the ideal obviously would be you would go in and you would say um this and this is happening and they would they would instantly know you know that perimenopause was was a potential kind of outcome but but you know it feels like it's 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 up to all of us to kind of get that knowledge and that power and and sort of not take no for an answer but the problem is I mean there's a couple of things here we don't look at doctors the way our parents did who had them they would revere doctors and never question them. We're definitely a different generation and we shouldn't, it should be okay for a woman to go and question the doctor. That's okay to do. But the problem is, is when you're in perimenopause, you don't recognize yourself. You don't feel like yourself. You've lost your confidence and self-esteem most of the time. And then I'm telling you to go in there and be ballsy and mm. tell them I demand don't, this. It wouldn't be a pain. We don't want to cause yeah, any trouble. But it's just that a lot of women don't have access to that because they just feel so overwhelmed. And so I get that too, right? But the thing is, though, is um, especially in the UK, where probably most of your listeners are, there are resources there that can help doctors. And so the NICE guidelines are a great thing for women to print off. They're uh, an, a, a prescription guidelines for doctors to help you. And so there's there's things that are happening now. And so, yeah, it's even though I'm telling you to, to stand up for yourself, I'm also recognizing that that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, it is, I think, really encouragingly. It does seem as though there's a real groundswell of more and more women coming into this sort of time of their life, speaking up, speaking out, creating this great content that, that normalizes this experience much vast amount more than than there has been in the past um and and i think your your book is is one really good example of that and i really like you know it's a very straight talking very practical kind of holistic approach puts the reader back in control of how they manage this experience and you're very candid in the book about your own experiences your own symptoms uh, and you're also uh, you know you're very vocal uh, on social media about some of the alternative medicine solutions out there you know very kind of 
I feel like there's there's a lot of potential for women at this very vulnerable kind of life stage. You know, we're we're kind of almost like we're under attack. Our bodies feel a bit alien, um, and sort of someone's promising us a kind of a quick fix or an easy solution, or a, you know, this is sort of wonderful natural remedy. But your your sort of the book is very kind of very much evidence-based as you said you know you've spoken to a lot of the experts in the the field and kind of synthesized all of that into something that's very kind of accessible and very kind of easy to absorb. One of the things that I've noticed over the last eight years and I talk about eight years really because that's from when I recognize my symptoms to Mm. today is that yes the awareness has changed this is a good thing. It's more positive that we can have these open conversations. I noticed in the UK, the celebs are jumping into it. Well, whatever. But as long as they're doing it in an ethical way, that's fine. My book was in the Daily Mail and in the Daily Express and stuff. So like, I know they're doing these big pushes and it's on the BBC, etc. But then on the flip side of that, the marketing researchers have realized that this is an untapped potential for them. With so a let's, lot of money, right? With a, with a lot of money. <laughs> Chances are we have disposable income. We also are vulnerable. We also are tired of feeling like shit. We want answers. We want to know what's going on. And then, you know, Karen on Instagram comes along with some menopause powder that says, just stir this into your coffee every morning and it'll get rid of everything. And so it's so problematic. We have um, quick fixes that are just BS, right? You know, that that I really don't understand why people can't be ethical about looking at this topic, right? That's one of my, one of the Mm. biggest things about me is I'm super authentic. I tell it like it is. I try not to offend people but I'm really happy like backing the evidence and standing my ground and saying you you need to be able to held accountable (laughs) yes you have to be held accountable so in my industry um it's toxic it's horrible it always has been and I always try and you know like um rise above that and be the the person with the same solid advice so I do have like some my educational background is exercise and nutrition science. So I can think, I can speak with some authority on that. So when somebody is selling supplements or they're cherry picking data to make their supplement look like it's going to work for you, I have no problem saying, yeah, but this report and this study and all of these show us that that's actually maybe not true. And maybe what you're saying is your supplement can help with the placebo effect, which we know is a a true phenomenon too. So, you know, I just, I'm really tired of it because we know that the um, menopause industry now, because that's what it's become is a billion dollar industry. We're being targeted with products that may or may not work. It's overriding the voices of sanity, like people like me that are saying, guess what you need to do? You need to look from a medical perspective, what you can do. You need to look at yourself from a lifestyle perspective. Are you managing stress? Are you managing your sleep? Are you exercising intelligently? Are you eating a full nutrition, nutritious, well-balanced diet? Like, are you being a dick to yourself? Are you speaking to yourself in a, an appropriate manner to like help you thrive through this time? They're the things that work. They're the big rocks that women need to work on. It's not menopause powder or mm, talc or easy oh. And you know, and if somebody says, well, that's not true, it worked for me, that's still not evidence. That's an opinion. 
it's different, right? And I'm glad it worked for you, but it doesn't mean that it works, right? And that's the whole point. And and the, what we know is that the supplement industry is not regulated, right? So people can say anything they want. And and the, and the last part of this is none of these things are cheap. I know women that spend two, three hundred dollars a month on lots of potions and lotions. And I'm just like, wow, gosh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a privileged position to be in, I suppose, to be able to spend that type of money. But um, it, it's really hard. And so I do look at things in a holistic manner. And the way I use holistic is in the actual meaning of it, like you do, do meaning the, your whole body, mind, soul together, not in the woo, the woo type holistic. And and then the other side of it is women say they want to go through this naturally. And I'm okay with that. And I like c- completely support that. But what does natural actually mean, right? So all supplements that you buy are synthesized in a lab. There's nothing natural about them. It's not like someone got a yam and ground it up and put it in a capsule. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, that that's, I mean, we need to really truly understand. And if you want to say something's natural, well then hormone replacement therapy is derived from yams. And so, mm. but it's still synthesized in a lab. It's so I mean, so what does natural actually mean? If you want to go through without taking anything, that's fine too, but you're not going to stop menopause happening. And that's one of the the problems I have. I I hear all the time that women are going to just balance their hormones through food, through menopause. And I'm like, do you even know what you've just said? Do you truly understand what you've just you've just stated because that's just not how hormones work at all and it's not how food works there's a look thinking about hormones actually so one of the things that i uh found really interesting and that you talk about in the book is this uh you know it's not just the sort of the you know the estrogen and the progesterone side of things which you know potentially we are aware of um you know this really complex interplay with testosterone and cortisol and the sort of the hormones that regulate our hunger signals I had no idea about all all of that. It's really fascinating, and this kind of the real kind of web of things that that pinging around and sort of interacting with one another. That you know, you, it come comes back to that idea of that sort of three hundred and sixty degree view yes. of things, right? Hormones are very complex, right? So hormones, um, when studied from a medical perspective, are studied by endocrinologists, right? So these people dedicate their lives to understanding hormones and they're still trying to understand them to this day. I'm saying to women who are listening to this, stop listening to hormone experts on Instagram because they just called themselves it. When we know that it's an ever-evolving medical topic that will continually be researched but what we do know is hormones are dynamic. If you had, say, a blood test on a mo- on the morning to measure your estrogen and progesterone levels and FSH and all the other things they look for, if they did it an hour later, it would be completely different. They're dynamic, they move, they interplay all the time. And they interact with trillions, well, not, there's about, I think there's over 50 plus hormones in the body that all are all interact with one another and estrogen is one of the main players in the female body it interacts with tons of other hormones and so and it impacts on so many parts of the body as well having those sort of lower levels of, of estrogen you know again yes. sort of the more I sort of read the more I'm like wow you wow. know there's this huge shopping list of things that can be affected by those sort of fluctuations of it was of one estrogen. of the yeah it was one of the eye openers for my book and just over the last few years of research. And it's just that we know that estrogen, even though it's produced mainly in the ovaries, there are receptors all over the body, all over the body. So they can be in your joints. Women get joint pain. 
they cross the blood-brain barrier, which means the nutrients that go into the brain. And so what are some of the main symptoms we hear about perimenopause, but nobody ever wants to talk about? It's the cognitive side. It's the like yeah. the mental health side, the neurological side. And we know that these happen because of estrogen deficiency. But when women go in and say, I don't feel myself... I think I might be depressed. Well, there's some antidepressants. Well, yeah. yes, the antidepressants can help you for sure they can, but it's not the reason it's happening, right? And so I think that there's there's a lot to learn and I'm pretty sure that I will keep talking and changing my mind on things because it's an evolving topic and women are now getting more research done on them. Perimenopausal and menopausal women are more um, dedicated research. So hopefully, you know, things will become clearer over time. But what... Sorry to interrupt you. You talk a bit in the book about some two kind of particular um, sort of strands of that research. So again, you know, things that maybe you, we just really don't know enough about at the moment about the sort of the links between things like hot flushes and uh, the cardiovascular disease, or um, the sort of the links between the female hormones and Alzheimer's disease, for example. And you know, it's so under researched, and hopefully things are, are changing, but. One of the one of the biggest like learning things for me in the book when I was doing my research was that you know we have this um, idea that we now we know what perimenopause is and we reach menopause then that's it then you're fine for the rest of your life and women live and, into the sunset and yeah, yeah with your white floaty dress and stuff but like we so we have thirty forty years potentially to live maybe more afterwards. Um, and so you're then potentially living those that second half of your life with estrogen deficiency. And estrogen is one of our most protective hormones. It protects the brain. We've just said that it protects the heart. Um, it helps monitor um, cortisol levels. It helps keep insulin levels in check. And it helps build bones, right? It helps with the osteoblasts, which are the things that help build bones. So, and these are the major things that actually kill us as women as we get older. Our number one killer is heart disease. Estrogen yeah. plays a huge role in that. And so it's really important that when women go through into postmenopause that they don't just go, oh, that's it then. It's like, no, you have to be so proactive with your health because unless you're on hormone therapy as you go, which can sort of like help dampen the sort of the impacts of those diseases, you have to be exercising, you have to be eating well, you have to be supporting your stress levels, you have to be moving every day. There's things that you need to do to improve your health markers you know, smoking, drinking, all of the things that we know are impactful to these diseases, it's more important than ever to take control of your health so that you can live forever. Like longevity is a we never We never used to live much beyond the point at which we would go through menopause and sort of, you know, life expectancy now is just... I think it's about 81. I think like in North America, I don't know the UK, it's about 81 for a woman. So like, that's me. I've got like another 30 years and I don't want to get sick. I don't want to have issues with my health and other women don't. And in fact, in fact um, we know that um, statistically, women who are on hormone therapy live longer than those who don't go on hormone therapy because yeah, of the protection. What we hear about is the, the kind of the the risk scares yeah. and yeah. all of the protective, all of the you know the potential upside. There's been so much focus on kind of yeah the sort of scare maybe not scaremongering, but um, yeah, I think that it, it's like it's almost like that's what's got into the consciousness. People just 
have been turned off a lot of the time. From... Yeah, but we know why that happens though, don't we? Because people don't latch on to good luck stories and feel good stories. People latch on to conflict. You know, we're living in a, this year has been hellish for everyone. We've been locked down for a year and we're triggered so easily. And so we're looking and I watch interactions on social media and in the news and it's like the things that get, the things that stay with us are provocative headlines. HRT causes breast cancer. You don't see headlines that say, actually, no, we're wrong. HRT doesn't cause breast cancer. It's not a carcinogen. You don't see those because it's not headline news. And so as humans, we tend, yeah, we as humans, we tend to hold on to fear and risk like narrative. It's just the way we are. So in terms of um, the sort of where you would like to see the kind of the conversation around this going you know, it, it obviously is changing and evolving and uh, uh, there's a lot more people sort of sharing their experiences. But, you know, can you see yourself sort of writing a, a, a kind of a follow-up book to this in a couple of years' time and sort of revisiting some of these themes? Do you think? Do you feel like we're sort of on the cusp of a, a sort of quite a seismic change with this kind of cohort of people kind of coming into this now that, you know, it really will push the agenda? Yes. I do. And I think it depends where you live. I think the UK are leading the charge with this. And, um, you know, Canada and the USA will probably trail behind. It just seems to be typical of you, the way we see things. But I actually think that change, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the point that I think change happens at the bottom. Like it's a, it's got to be a grassroots movement. Women are powerful and strong. And that's actually one of the gifts that menopause gives you. When you sort of like through the worst of it and you're into uh, menopause and it sort of is like freeing and there's part of you that's like, oh, I don't have to suffer fools. I don't, I don't care about like saying no, no anymore. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really okay with standing up and saying, hey, this isn't good enough and we demand better. And so instead of being this um, black hole in the medical industry, women should just be served. Women should just be able to go to the doctor like they do for anything else and just get the help they need. And so, um, and the conversation shouldn't be scaremongering. It should be a normal conversation in the household, which is definitely changing too, because I never thought my kids would talk about menopause and they know all about it, right? The younger generation are more ballsy than we've ever been. They're not going to stand for any crap. So if we don't fix it, they will. That's what I think the younger ones, but I think that we have uh, an obligation to our nieces and our daughters to like lay the groundwork so that they don't have to struggle like we've struggled. That's what I think, right? We had a generation before us that did it quietly because it was sort of expected that they just yeah, put up and just, shut. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and shut. also the stigma, I think, around it. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of work going on sort of de-stigmatizing yeah. other conversations relevant to kind of gender or whatever. And I think this is... And mental you know, health. The next, the, next, yeah. the next one is kind of, you know, just demolishing all of those tired tropes around kind of yes. menopause and midlife and, and, you know, actually getting people talking to one another talking to to their partners to their families about what's really going on rather than just oh you know mum's having a, a tough time or you know kind yeah. of crazy cat lady kind of the 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 sort of you know the hot flushes and the the you know holding the fan and, you know people women out there who just are hiding their menopause symptoms at work yeah. because they're worried about you know the impact on on their career or menopause in the workplace 
Yeah, menopause in the workplace is another topic that the UK are leading the way on. I know there's a company recently last month um, has given women over 40, I think it is. I, I'm not sure exactly of the wording. They're giving them three extra days um, a year that they can take no questions asked type thing, you know. And I just think that, and it's all around like helping them feel supported and having a compassionate conversation. We're not asking for much and that's the thing, right? It's not like we're standing up and going, we demand you give us all of these things. What we're saying is we demand that we're just not ignored. We demand that we're not targeted for bullshit products. We demand that when we go to the doctor, we get what we're expected to get. We demand that when we go into the workplace, if we're having a bad day, like if our, we're really struggling, that we have the ability to be able to go to a quiet room or work from home. And it's not like we're going to abuse that. It's not what we're about. We're about just asking for the basic. And the thing is with menopause, even though it can feel so life-altering and terrible, usually the solutions are simple. Whether it's workplace, medical, lifestyle, it doesn't have to be complicated, but people want it to be, right? And I'm all about simplifying it for the, you know, the minimum effective dose that you can do to make improvements, right? Whether it's on yourself or, you know, around you. Yeah. And I think also it's, I kind of talked before about your, your sort of, you know, your book giving people the sort of the tools and the framework to to kind of take charge and manage it but also we shouldn't necessarily feel that we we have to be able to fix it all at once I think you know it can be a gradual thing so for me I've never been a sporty person um, but I have worked out almost every day for the last three months and that's a massive change for me Um, I feel really good but you know that it's like well I you don't have to fix everything all in one go you can make these kind of small changes and take on board the sort of the messaging from the book and sort of maybe maybe sort of the exercise is the first step and then you sort of looking at your kind of your food intake and your and then maybe when you've cracked that you can think a bit more about okay well how am I going to manage the sort of the stress or yeah and you can even break that down into smaller pieces and the whole point of doing that you're completely right doing something consistently and it doesn't have to be big it can be a small thing for example if it's your nutrition you can be like you know what I'm going to make sure there's a piece of protein or there's some type of protein in every meal I do and if that's too overwhelming I'm going to make sure that I have protein at two meals a day like it can be small but when you do small things over time they become habits they become like a ritual that you don't need to think about and they have long-term impacts And that's why quick fix diets don't work because they'll work for the 21 days. But then what do you do on day 22? You want to be able to do something that you know in 10, 20, 30 years time you're still doing and it's still supporting your health. How did you feel about working out every day? How did your mental health feel? So I started doing it between sort of Christmas and New Year because for some reason I can't even remember now I think something there was a free trial offer on the on the service that I started using and I didn't. I didn't necessarily set out and say, I will exercise every day. It's like, I'm going to give this a try, see how it goes. It's a free trial. I've got nothing to lose. And and actually, it's almost it's almost addictive having that sort of that that feeling. And, you know, I again, I don't beat myself up if I've sort of 
if I don't feel like like doing it that day, that's fine. I've got to so the app that I'm using has got a lot of flexibility in it. So if I feel like, okay, I've only got 20 minutes or, you know, I feel like it's a yoga day or it's a weight day or whatever, I've, I can kind of be kind to myself if I need to be, but also, you know, I've got that sort of flexibility and if I feel like I've got the energy to do 45 minutes, brilliant, that's what I'm going to do. And, and I, I never, you know, I never regret making the decision to do it that day. But equally, you know, if I feel like I'm having an off day or whatever, I'm not going to beat myself up for not doing it, if that makes sense. I love that. There's some of my mottos in life. Seize the day when you can. Have compassion when you can't. And yeah, it's not, there's nothing wrong with becoming addicted to the endorphins at all. <laughs> not at all. Just, yeah. just need more hours in the day to, to be able to kind of do more of it. But, but yeah. I think that's, that's the thing. It's, you know, finding what works for you. And it, it's been actually, that's a weird kind of upside of, of kind of being stuck at home with the pandemic is just having that bit extra flexibility to sort of slot in the work. Workout, yeah. um, and then what? And I think that it's so great you have that flexible attitude because I'm, I'm I'm definitely a proponent of that, and I'm I'm I go in with it like, how do I feel today? Am I a two out of ten, or am I an eight out of ten? Um, and I do fitness snacking, so on those days where I don't have a lot of energy, I'll maybe do five minutes, ten minutes. You know, while the potatoes are boiling, I might do some push-ups or some squats or something. <laughs> don't it doesn't have to be super structured and hardcore if you don't feel like it right just be like I said be kind to yourself but when you can when you have those eight out of ten days when you're feeling energetic seize the day yeah go for it yeah (laughs) oh Amanda we're coming up to we've gone over half an hour and I said I would try and keep it under 30 minutes one thing that I've been asking guests is uh to nominate another amazing woman that they think we should feature on the podcast so I've put oh, you on the spot gosh um, and do you have um a particular area because I probably could give you 40 women um there, there are so many out there 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 are a couple of registered dietitians that I think that you may enjoy speaking to that I would recommend the authors of a book called the menopause diet plan it's written by elizabeth ward and hillary wright who are registered dietitians you know they're they're the experts in in nutrition and it's the sanest book i've ever read on nutrition even though mine is sane it's so practical there's no woo at all it's all hardcore facts it's based around the mediterranean dash diet like it's really just practical everyone can do it um and so they're my recommendation brilliant Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day out there in the Texan sun whilst we shiver in the April uh, <laughs> springtime in inverted commas over here. Yeah, 30, 30 degrees today. <laughs> Thank you again so much for, for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. I will make sure that when I um, update the blog that I'll put a link to the book for anyone who's interested in getting hold of their own copy. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.